This story of Jesus and his temptation is quite intriguing, not least for the areas that the devil decides to focus on when tempting. And lots of ideas have been drawn from this text over the generations. You've probably heard it somewhere before, maybe, and I want to offer a few perspectives on it. Let's see what we can discover. The first thing I find striking about this story is that um, the text announces that after 40 days of not eating, Jesus was hungry. Nothing very surprising there, really, is it? Um, And there seems like there's something very natural about this. And if Jesus was hungry, that he would want to eat, and indeed probably should eat. Um, if, you had, if you were hungry and you had access to unlimited power, what would you do? Making something to satisfy your desire would be a very natural response. I know if I have a busy morning and I miss breakfast and I get to some time around mid-afternoon and I suddenly go, oh, I'm hungry. I use all my powers and open the fridge and see what's in there and get something to eat. It's what I do. The devil here is really just pointing to the same process. You have the power, why don't you give yourself something to eat? What would be wrong with that? Anything wrong with eating when you're hungry? Why should Jesus not simply respond by saying, excellent idea, why did I not think of that earlier? Is it simply that it's the devil's suggestion that makes it a problem? Any self-respecting righteous person never does what the devil says, even if it's a good idea, right? Perhaps more to the point is eating is not simply a good idea, it's actually a survival requirement. And the human body is amazing and can survive all sorts of things for periods of time and uh, we can do without food for quite an extended period, but eventually we need to eat. I mean, there's a craze at the moment about intermittent fasting. I try not to eat before... 10 or 11 o'clock the following day because it gives you a bit of time for your body to crave stuff. But eventually you need to eat. And after 40 days of not having food, it might be considered a good time to start eating. Was Jesus being unnecessarily kind of bloody-minded by resisting this idea? And I think there's a clue to the answer in Jesus' very clear response. Jesus knows that life is more than just survival, more than just the bread you need to survive. We all respond to our survival needs instinctually. It's something that we don't need to think about. It's like a reflex. When you're hungry, you want to eat, you go to eat. And that might sound a bit strange, but think about what's most important to you. When you think about what is most important to you in your life, seriously, consider that for a moment. And no doubt it will be something different for each one of you. Think about what makes that thing most important to you. No matter what it is, there will be some kind of connection between you and that person or that thing that makes it so important to you. And the way that we do connection is actually about story whether it's a person you're married to or other family members or a close friend or a pet or a particular possession, the meaning that that holds for you 
is actually not the thing in and of itself so much as the story that it's held within. I've been married to Jo, my wife, for nearly 28 years and along with my daughters Way and Paige, she is the most important person in the world to me and it's not her eyes, although she has remarkable eyes and it's not the way she wears her hair, although I really like her hair and it's not her cooking, though Jo is a very good cook and it's not even the way that she parents our girls so she's taught me so many good things about parenting. It's the way our lives have been intertwined together, the story we have woven together. So that if I was to lose Joe, God forbid, and soon after meet someone who was equally wonderful a person as Joe is, I could not and would not want to recreate what I have with Joe. The story Joe and I share is wonderfully unique. It has meaning because the path we have walked together has taken us through many events and circumstances and struggles and triumphs. If something were to happen to Joe and someone said to me, "Ah, not to worry, there's plenty of lovely women around, you could get together with someone else, they would be completely missing the point, right? It's not about simply having a partner, not just any partner, this is about the meaning of the journey that Joe and I have together because of what we've shared in our story and you know our big story holds all the little stories that we have of incidents that happened you know last night or last week or the other day or whatever it might be in a funny kind of way the word of god offers us a big story it's a big story in which we can locate our own stories and without it it doesn't really matter how much bread you have, because mere survival is not life. Jesus is stating that he's not ready to abandon the big story in which he finds himself and knows who he is and has purpose and meaning and God holds him just to satisfy his instinctual appetite. And I think there's plenty of evidence that as we abandon the big story, we're in trouble. And Jesus says, I'm not doing that. And the next temptation is interesting too because the devil's very clever. He goes, oh, you're quoting scripture at me. Well, I'll quote a bit of scripture at you as well. Um, Some people appear dead certain about stuff, don't they? There's a certainty that pertains to matters um, that are beyond uh, real validation. Like when we are really certain about things that we can't actually be sure about, there's a thing that we call certitude where you've decided to be certain about it regardless of what can be proved or disproved or explored or whatever it might be and this often is a religious kind of thing too. If a a person makes the decision to believe a certain thing, they might decide it is so important to them that they feel others should not only be accepting of their own belief but they should believe the same thing that they believe and this can be of course very well intended except if the person who's being lent on to believe the thing that the other person believes finds that they are not persuaded by this belief, the person who is very certain about it can easily see this as a fault in the other person. Are you following me? Have you had this experience where sometimes that happens? We kind of think, oh, if only they were smarter, they'd get it. Or if they were better educated or indeed more spiritually aware or had more experience or whatever it might be, then their eyes would be open to this truth that I am so certain 
about. But faith is not about being certain of things in one way, it is in some other ways, but it's more about having confidence in another person or another, as it were. Faith is when we trust someone to be true to who we believe they are. So when the devil begins to throw scripture at Jesus, taunting him to behave in what would be otherwise considered irresponsible ways in an attempt to prove his confidence in God, Jesus is simply not playing. Our God is not one who is subject to the demands of people. Our God is. That's I am who I am. That's our God. And the appropriate response to our God is not to demand proof of anything but to trust. And uh, that's not easy for us. In fact, the deepest part of this challenge is that it means that we are not in charge. If we put our trust in God, God who is not us, not me, not you, and not even the collection of all of us who believe God is outside of all of that and doesn't always act just as we would act, I should say, as well, we're saying that we've decided that that God is the one who can call the shots. And that's very challenging for us. We had the UTS Clubs Day on Thursday and I had a conversation, or more an exchange, I think, uh, with a very earnest young man who came from one of the other Christian groups and he framed his approach to me as an earnest and genuine inquiry and he wanted to know how we as a Christian club could be so accepting of all comers because we had on our thing that we supported women in leadership and that we were accepting of people from various different sexual orientations and this kind of thing. And he pointed out scriptures that outlawed particular people and behaviours and he expressed his dismay at what appeared to him to be our anything-goes kind of approach. And my response was to suggest that we don't live before God as those bound by the law. We have become followers of Jesus. And while there is a continuity with the intent and purpose of the law and Jesus' approach, Jesus is in fact the fulfilment of the law, not just the continuation of it. And we become Christians precisely because we've decided to follow Jesus, not the old law. And Jesus is the one religious figure who is the most welcoming of all comers. <laughs> Preach it, brother! Thank you, I hear that, sister. <laughs> so as I said a moment ago, the deepest challenge in all of this is that we are not in control. Because if you give us a law, right, or even scripture that we use as a law sometimes, we can work out how to obey it to our best advantage. That's just our human way. We have a certain... Uh, certitude in the way things, we think things should work and everything is calcul- calculable and definable and we transform the law into the tool of our particular requirements just as the devil is doing when he uses scripture to tell Jesus he should jump off the cliff and prove that God loves him. That's what happens if we follow a law. But if we follow a person then we learn of their character and we increasingly see through their eyes and we become moved by the same motives that move the one we are following and we take on their likeness. 
rather than transforming them to be a tool of us, we become transformed by our engagement with them. And the last area, of course, is power. The devil's power. The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. And is this simply an empty offer on the part of the devil? Does he have the power to offer all these kingdoms? Well, yes, in a way he does because all the kingdoms of the earth function by way of a power that is essentially the devil's power. It is a coercive power of intimidatory force, the power of do what I say or you will pay. It's a power that has no interest in a higher calling or creation. It's a power that gets its most decisive decisive traction by harnessing the majority against a minority. In crude terms, it is the power of the mob. Over thousands of generations and many shaping influences, it's become sophisticated and subtle and keeps populations in line with layers of generally well-accepted, targeted intimidations. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a derivative power over that is in all our systems, including the democratic system that we live under. It's the most successful system in modern history for governing and for the transfer of power from one leader to another, and you could say it's the best of all systems. But even in this system, we see people working the system, not so they can serve the populace, but they might gain power over the populace. This is the hidden reality in democracies. You only need a slightly larger mob than everyone else and you can enforce your will on them. It was uh, Churchill who said, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. (laughs) So what are we to do? What is the alternative to living under the inevitable coercive power of the devil? And I think, again, if we look at this story, Jesus offers the answer. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, you may not have realised this, But when you come here on a Sunday morning to worship, you are engaging in something profoundly subversive to the coercive status quo of world power. Did you know that? Just be careful if the cops find out. (laughs) Because we are inviting someone who is beyond us, that is God, beyond all of us, to transform us. We are here not to seek power for ourselves. We are here to learn and trust in one we have deemed worthy of our trust. Indeed, the only one worthy of our absolute trust, even though we struggle with that level of trust in anyone at all. You see, there is a form of governance that surpasses democracy. It's the governance of the heart transformed by God. It's the self-governance of a transformed heart. A heart so favourably disposed towards one another and that which is good 
that all it cares that all people will be cared for without the need for that to be legislated. Can you imagine a world where we didn't need to have rules that say you can't rob your neighbour and you can't murder people, but we just knew that was not a smart thing to do. We wanted to care for one another. That's the kingdom way. Now, that's not a realistic option for most places most of the time in this world, but that's what Jesus is saying. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve God only. See, temptation is always a temptation to take in hand things that rightly belong in God's hands. More than the eternal, internal tussle over whether to eat that extra Danish on the front table or to indulge in wasting your time going down a YouTube rabbit hole or whatever it might be that you, is your particular fancy, temptation has at its core the offer of a quick fix that seems to come at little expense to ourselves Yet there will always be a price to pay but probably it's going to be paid by someone else, maybe even someone we have no idea about. So whether it's abandonment of the big story that holds us for a more convenient personal story or the demand that God respond to us in ways that we've decided that we need or the subtle use of oppressive, coercive power in the name of spiritual liberty which so often happens... God is not mocked and we do better to not be fooled either. Jesus offers us a really good model for how to respond to temptation and we should keep following him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. You never condemn us but you continue to invite us to live in better, freer more liberating ways for the whole of your creation. Not licentiousness, just doing anything we like, but self-giving love, doing that which is good for all. Lead us in that way, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen.